Hi, my name is Steve Williams. And I'm Clara Williams. We would like to welcome you to our new podcast, Voices from the Choir, Oh Happy Day Reflections. This podcast is about my journey growing up in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area, along with my cousin Diane, my childhood friends Kathy, Donald, Arva, Gwen, and Arva and Gwen's cousin Ron, and our time as members of the Edward Hawkins Singers. We'll each share stories which began with singing in the Northern California State Youth Choir of the Church of God in Christ. Our incredible journey starts when we recorded an album that included the song, Oh Happy Day, which changed our lives. We've never shared these stories until now. Over the years of our marriage, Claire has always wanted to tell the story of this life-changing event. I'll be your host through these nine episodes as we hear from these voices from the choir. In this episode, we are excited to have Diane Williams as a guest. I am really proud of my cousin, Diane. In 2013, after an event honoring Ed's 70th birthday, Diane and I were with some of the choir members at a coffee shop, just talking, when Diane shared her story. I was deeply touched. She revealed aspects of her life that I never knew. Hearing her story at that moment became one of the motivations to create this podcast. I hope you enjoy. Really looking forward to this conversation that we're going to have today. Welcome, Diane. It's great to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So one of the things um, I want to do starting off is just tell me a little bit about yourself and where you grew up, and also um, how did you hear about the Edwin Hawkins Singers and the choir and that? So just give me a little bit of background. Okay, actually, I was born in Fresno, California, but I was raised in the city of Richmond, and I heard about the Edwin Hawkins Singers through my cousin, uh, Clara, Lawrence, and Charlene Hill at the time. We have always had singers in our family, musicians in our family. I heard it through them. So when they said that uh, Ed was calling for singers and auditioning, uh, of course, I was interested. So I went and uh, I was accepted, singing as an alto and a tenor. And a, oh, a tenor. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I have yeah. a very low voice. <laughs> so um, you really had a lot of uh, experience singing with choir because you grew up music. Well, basically at, in church, mm-hmm. of course, singing with a children's church. My mother and my father were uh, Christians, and also my, fa- my father was an assistant pastor at that time of the Powerhouse Church of God in Christ in the city of San Pablo which we started in another area of Richmond, but basically the, the main place was in San Pablo. And so uh, I was just out of high school, 1969, just out of high school. It was an exciting time of my life. It was a page that was turned in my life. Actually, I had just gotten pregnant Okay, and my family, my father and my mother, by raising us in the church, you know, it was about um, fornication and having sex outside of marriage, and I did make that mistake. So at that time, I got pregnant. When they heard that I was pregnant, of course, they did what they thought was best for them to do. They... uh set me aside. I couldn't talk to the young people. Uh, That was one of the lowest times of my life, actually, that was starting off because of what I had made the choice to do. And if I ever needed somebody, Steve, in my life, it was that time as a young girl because I was only, I was 17. I was 17 when I got pregnant, and I was 18 when I had my baby. My son was just born when Ed was getting the, the choir together. And so, so that's, let's hold that thought just for a little bit mm-hmm. because that, that 
is going to really take us into um, some really essential things. But I, I want you to help us understand what it was like and the world that you grew up during that time, mm-hmm. right? How gospel music fit into it, um, you know, who were some of the people that influenced you in terms of listening to music uh, during that time, whether it be like a Maddie Moss, whether it be, um, you know, the James Cleveland or whatever. Um, share some of that. Tell us a little bit about Richmond, community you grew up in. Well, at that time, Richmond was off the chain, actually. But we had, when I say off the chain, there were no discrimination that I saw, seriously, because of the way I was raised. I loved everybody. I loved everybody, white, black, Mexican. I didn't meet any strangers. And so by me being raised in the church, basically in our home, nothing but church music. No jazz, no contemporary. It was just straight-up gospel, straight-up gospel from different, um, what you said, Maddie Moss Clark and um, Mahalia Jackson, and um, it was just different back then from older singers that had been around for a while, and we never got to play nothing else in our home but gospel. That was it, you know. And uh, I went to music school for a minute. I played the cello. Me and Clara played the cello. I remember I learned how to listen to music and not just really um, read music. I, I learned a little bit about reading music, but that didn't that didn't last too long. The cello didn't last too long with me, but I still remembered how to tune a guitar. I know how to play the drums a little bit, the congos. And I just love music. My family loved music. My dad was one of the best guitar players there was in the city uh, at that time. And so we just, um, Church of God in Christ, I felt like it was one of the strictest religions that there was, you know, with the no short sleeves, the toes out, a certain no color shirts. It was, it was something. No going to parties. We only went to church on Sunday. That was a rest day. We couldn't go to movies. It was really, my mother was really um, strict. How did you relate to that in terms of your peers and the other kids you were around? How, how did you interact with that? Well, actually... I didn't have many friends because of that reason, because church, 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 church. And so when my friends would come by the the house on the way to school, my mother would call them in, let's have prayer, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. So she would pray for us before we went to school every morning. Every morning she would do this, okay? And so a lot of the children stopped coming by my house. They just really boiled down to my maybe two. And that was Brenda Butler and uh, Margaret Hawkins. Those was my two best friends. It was really different, but um, in order for me to live there, I had to abide by her rules, you know, so, well, as much as possible. When she was around, I would do what I was supposed to do. But when she wasn't there, here come the makeup, here come the shorts, here come... But I always went back before I went home, so some of the times she never knew I was, you know, doing these things. But um, I really... Now, I, I I thank God in the way, the way I was raised at first, because at, at first I thought my mother really was sort of, you know, crazy. I did. Because every time, Steve, I would ask, can I go to a party? She would say, well, let me go and ask the Lord about it. And do you know, Steve and Clara, the Lord never gave me permission to go to a party. (laughs) I say, Mom, who want to serve a God that that always says no? How can you serve a God like that? But now, this day and time, I can understand a little. She taught me because... That's how she was taught. And so I, um, I look back over my life and I say, wow, 
what an era to be raised in, you know. But I did allow some of my girlfriends to influence me on certain things, but I only went so far because I always had that fear, you know, of how I was raised that something was going to happen. So I never got too far out there. So like I said, when I made that mistake and um, and got pregnant, see, that was, it was only the first time and the only time. And I got pregnant. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And it was devastating. It was devastating. But now that I look at it, it was a part of how my life was supposed to go because of where I am now as far as ministering to young women that have babies out of wedlock, you know. I really know how to empathize with them and let them know that there's still somebody because, like I said, when, when this happened to me, I was, it was just like I had leprosy. They put me over in the corner. They wouldn't allow me to do anything, and I felt so, so bad. And so then when I heard about the Edwin Hawkins singers was getting ready to travel and that uh, the opportunity was given to my cousin Clara, but at that time her goals were to start college. And when I found that out, then I called Ed and said, Ed, my cousin Clara is not going. Can I go in her stead? And he said, yes. That was the highlight of my life. So what about that in particular were you looking for? Well, actually, you know, I didn't know what I was looking for. I really didn't because I was, what, I was 18. I really didn't know. I didn't have a goal, but I know that I had been damaged by the church people. I was damaged. And uh, they made me feel so self, no self-worth at all, you know. And uh, when they said travel and to get away, I needed to get away, even though I had just had my baby. When I left Damon, he was five months old. And I do appreciate my mom and my sister Susan took care of my son while I traveled for those four months with, uh, with the Edwin Hawkins singers. So that must have been an interesting conversation to, or discussion amongst uh, your mom, your family, and that your desire to go out on the road uh, in the midst of all that. How did that go down? Well, I, I believe it was all in the plan of God because she didn't say not one time that she would not keep him. And I told her that, uh, or, or my sister, and so when I left, him. My mind was always on my baby, but the things that was happening to me while I was traveling with Ed and them, it made me feel like I was somebody, you know, and that's, that was the most important thing that I was focusing on, that I am somebody. Yes, I made a mistake, but God still loves me, and I still can make something of myself, you know, and um, the man wasn't at all in my life. It was just me and my baby, you know. And it was really, it was really, like I said, a turning point in my life. Because singing and doing the different things that we did. And people, after we sung, they running up to me, can I have your autograph? And I say, Lord, these people just don't know. My life is messed up. But they want my autograph, you know, by singing this, this song, by singing songs. And so... It made me feel so, so good. I mean, there's no words that I can explain how I felt at that time. So, Diane, share with me then, because you came up in a musical family, how was music looked at from the standpoint of whether you consider it ministering to other people or not just the performance of it, but there was some some other something, a part of it, right, in terms yes. of... Yes. Can you explain that? What? Okay, like my brothers, my father was a guitar player. My other two brothers were guitar players. I got a brother now that all of them just played the guitar. Just um, It was amazing. And then my sister, we all sung. Now, I really didn't feel like I had the gift of singing, but I can carry a tune. And I wasn't afraid to, if I'm in the background singing, I wasn't afraid to express myself behind the song, you know. If I felt the song, 
I knew it was a ministry. I knew it was a ministry to, to minister in song to different people, you know. And uh, right now, to this day, my brother, Billy McCuller, he ministers on the streets now. He writes his own songs, and he ministers, and he also takes other people's songs. Um, I can't think of his name, but left my home in Georgia and then headed for the uh, Christian Bay. And so he ministers to people how he, how he feel. And so then I put those two together. And as I began to sing and I saw the expressions on people's face, that made me feel good to know that I was uplifting their spirit, especially with Oh Happy Day. I mean, that song was... Since Jesus washed my sins away. That song was amazing, just the words to say. And I saw the expression on people's faces. And I remember one time we were singing at this hotel, at this, um, it was a big auditorium. And we began to sing, Oh, Happy Day. And it was all different nationalities. And I say, Steve, just to see those people as we begin to sing that, that song, they got up. They made their own line around this facility, and they started just going in and out the rows. It was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I had never seen anything like it. And I mean, the whole time we sung this song, they were just going around and around and in and out the rows. And, and then when we got through singing, that's when they came up and, can I have your autograph? Oh, you just blessed me. And I, I came from so many miles to get here, and I'm so glad that you sung that song. And Oh, they just went on and on and on. And that made me feel good, knowing that my life was sort of messed up, you know. That made me feel good to know that I made somebody else feel good. And that, that's a ministry. That's a ministry. Now, you didn't, or did you sing on the original recording? Yes. You did? Uh-huh. Tell me about that experience then. I know I've heard some of the um, background on it and, and that uh, people didn't really make very much of that recording because it was, the event was really to raise money, um, to go right. back to a, right. um, a convention and those sort of things. Um, but all those songs... Uh, really ended up being very, very special. So how did that happen? Um, well, first of all, being on the original, you know, the original singer was Dorothy Morrison. And the way she sung it got everybody's attention. Now, the song was amazing within itself, the words to it. And so when the when it changed from Dorothy Morrison to Shirley, the people really didn't know that there was a change because of the words that were still in the song. The words didn't change, just the singers, you know, changed. And so I was there with the original when, when they first did it, and I felt like that was a part of my plan, the plan of, that God had for me positioned me in places that I thought I would never be, you know. And so it was, it was amazing for me just to be a part of the original, you know, and um, just to know that, not knowing that this song, now I'm trying to think of the song that it was sung by Tremaine. Now, when we was going to rehearsal, Ed was actually putting emphasis on a song that Tremaine had sung. And we was thinking that this was going to be the song that was going to push us. They didn't know Oh Happy Day was going to come in there. Ed didn't know that. So we was practicing, practicing on a song that Tremaine sung. But then Oh Happy Day looked like it just, it just took off. I said, wow, God had another plan, you know. We planned one way, but... God has his own plan. When you sang on the original recording, uh, or when that recording took place, um, you weren't pregnant yet, or were you? Yes. You were? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I was already pregnant when so, I sung on that, uh, on that original. So that, that, that experience in, in that music, the songs, did they minister to you too? Yes. That event? Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Well, when you say, well, 
after I had got pregnant, and like I said, they was treating me like I wasn't. Salvation is talking about when he washed my sins away. Even though this happened to me, I yet realized that God did this. He washed my sins. It was all about Jesus. You know, it was all about him. And what he did for me, what he did for me, he washed my sins away. It wasn't my mom, it wasn't my daddy, but he did it. And so when I heard those songs, Oh Happy Day, or um, even Tremaine's song, I can't even think of what it was because she sung about three or four songs. But those songs ministered to me, and I knew if I sung them, anything that you take in for yourself, that helps you to minister because of how you feel on the inside. And that's what makes songs is part of your life. You know, the blues, this person is having the blues, so they're going to sing the blues because they're having the blues. Jazz, uh, different words of the jazz song is a part of that person's life, so they're going to sing that song because it's, it's on the inside coming out. So when it was a happy day, he washed my sins away. That was sinful what I did, but he washed it away. Don't treat me like this. Don't, don't judge me. I made a mistake, you know, but he, he washed that away. And so that gave me hope. And the more I sung it, the more it helped me. Now, were there other, any other songs that um, were on the album that really spoke to you also? I loved them all. And as we went to different places, it would change the songs around. Probably feeling this, listening to the Spirit, feeling the Spirit, knowing what audience was going to be there. See, and, and I say this right now to people, God already prepares an audience. He prepares certain things. And so... By Ed switching songs around, we didn't sing the same songs all the time, the different places that we was going. And I think because by him listening, looking at the audience and listening to the Spirit of God, he knew just what songs to sing to minister to the people because it, was all, it wasn't even about the money. It was exciting that we did receive money. You know, our room and board... Um, Part of it was paid for. The traveling was free because we went, I went on the second trip. We went by bus. We didn't fly. We went from state to state. I got a chance to go to about six different states by bus. That was paid for. So the other money that I was getting, I was sending it home to my mom to, to buy things for my baby, you know, and check it on him. And so all this was all a part of part of my life, not even realizing it. But God planned it like this. He set this up for me. So um, the first time they went out, you weren't there? No. Clara went. I went on the second. And, and why was that? Well, see, it was so many of us. So Ed was picking so many. So I think by maybe Clara's father, Elder Hill, Edna maybe knew the, the Hill family because he talked about Lawrence. He talked about Charlene. He talked about Claire. And he knew them per se, you know. And I was just a cousin, heard about it, and came on. And so when, when he picked the group, Clara went with the first group. That's why I said God set this up because she turned down the second trip because of going into college. And she probably, she would have got picked again, you know, and I would have been left out. But the way I was feeling on the inside, God knew that. So it was like a miracle match for me, you know. And he set it up to where I got a chance to let, them, let myself know that I'm still somebody. So that's how I believe it got set up. But it, it, and it, I, I cannot express the words, you know, on that trip. Uh, how many other members of that group were related to you or you knew from being around the neighborhood or whatever? Well, it was just um, Clara, Lawrence, Charlene, my cousin Cecilia. She got a chance. Now, she didn't go on the second trip, but she was on the record too, Oh Happy Day. 
See, we all did this, but see, she didn't get picked. She was a soprano. Ed already had picked his sopranos. And so it was always a certain group that went. Now, see, I got cut, I call it cut, when they went to Europe. He picked a smaller group because it was, it was so many of us. Oh, my Auntie Virginia, Fred, her husband, Fred. And so it was, it was quite a few of us as relatives, you know. And we all had that background of singing. Yes, singing, singing. Well, I, I, most of us, I ain't gonna say about Fred. Fred needed a little, <laughs> he needed a little help. But I'm talking about as far as uh, the Pickens family. <laughs> Uh, but it was it was awesome. It was nice, and um, and the fact that it it really um, it, it it had its um, purpose as uh, having the group go to a convention, the Kojic convention. Mm -hmm. um, had you been to any of those before? Yes. Well, yeah, of course. And Church of God in Christ. That's traveling, going from. We basically went though from city to city. Like, Clara's dad was my pastor, see? And so we followed him, going from conference to conference and city to city and singing in the choir, supporting him. Won little trophies, singing, you know, little trophies, singing, first, getting first place, second place trophy from singing. We just have singers in our musical background. So when when you finally got a chance to travel, to go on the road, and now you're getting ready to go, I know you were very excited about that. What were some of the things that got revealed to you? I mean, it's a new experience. Right, but see, the thing is, Steve, I didn't know, I really didn't know what to expect. 18 years old, okay, right out of high school. I had just graduated. I just got graduated. And... Didn't really know what to pack. Now, what I did do, looking at the style, mostly at that time, all the women were wearing naturals. So my hair was so messed up to me, you know. I bought me a natural wig, okay? So I, I got that. I bought me a natural wig. And um, the different clothes that they wore, I wasn't used to wearing them because of, living with my mom. So I got me a, uh, I got me a couple of pair of shorts. And at that time, not bragging or boasting, but my shape was really nice. I was 36, 24, 40. Almost, they call it perfect. 36, 24, 36, supposed to be a perfect. But I was 36, 24, 40, okay? with my little hot pants and long, a long dress to go with it, my, my wig. I felt like I was ready to go, ready to travel. Love people, I got to meet. I went in Michael Jackson dressing room, talked with them, had fun with them. I went in Diana Ross Supreme's dressing room, had fun with them, talked with them. So the different people that was with us, just gave me an opportunity to meet people, famous people. And it was just, I, I mean, it was, was no word. And I took it, as I was talking and playing around with them, it didn't dawn on me that they was famous. It was just a conversation like me and you having. And then after the whole thing, wow, look who I just talked to, you know. And it was, went on the Ed Sullivan show. And I say, wow, and I met so many beautiful people. And it was just, it seems like a dream. It really do, seems like a dream. So I, I just want to go back to you preparing and trying to pack and figure out what yes. you, you needed to go on the road. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so how, how, how did you relate to that? And also, because the group was so big uh, and very diverse too, right? Because the age right. group was, was right. pretty um, spread, right? From the youngest to the oldest. Um, and then you show up in hot pants. So how did that relate? I didn't do that until after our little singing, and then, you know, when we would go out. Actually, we didn't really have a time to go out. We really didn't because we would rehearse in the daytime, sing at night, 
in the morning, we was on our way to the next next thing. We didn't get to stay around in the city and do this and do that. We didn't, no, we, it was rehearsal all day. And I said, wow, but it was a job all day. And then we sung that night, and then the next day we was gone. And we did that for weeks. That's why I said I was gone for four months. That's what we did. But in between time, that's when I got a chance to put my little hot pants on. And I went to maybe, maybe one club and just sat there and just looked around, you know, and talked to people. But other than that, it was mostly just practicing and traveling and travel and singing and singing. But I, I, I will tell you this. Now, see, I'm the type of person, I love people, and I was like the jokester of my family, me and my brother Vody. okay? Love to laugh, love to laugh. And so while we was traveling, Ed, I never saw Ed eat anything. Ed didn't, he didn't eat breakfast. And see, we would, we would meet every morning for breakfast as a group. And so I got to the point where I started saying, I want to sit next to Ed. Everybody thought that I had a crush on Ed, but I didn't. I had a reason for doing this. Now, this was this sort of funny. It's crooked, but it's funny. And so, Steve, I would sit next to Ed every morning. And while Ed was talking, he would drink coffee and maybe a little, um, a little muffin. He never looked at he never looked at his receipt of what he bought. So what I would do, I would order pancakes, steak, potatoes. I would eat a big meal, and I would switch. That's great. <laughs> I would switch uh -huh. his receipt. Uh -huh. I would give him my receipt, and I would take his. <laughs> and I had coffee. His would have coffee no more than about six or seven dollars. Mine would be like 25, 30, 15. Oh, it was hilarious. And Steve, I did that through the whole trip. I didn't tell Ed until at the end. <laughs> I say, Ed, everybody thought that I had a crush on you. I say, yes, you are very handsome. I say, but I had another reason for wanting to sit next to you. I say, what did you have every morning? Coffee, a muffin, no more than that. I said, and you never looked at how much you paid on your receipt. I said, I would change receipts with you. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed. He said, get out of here. I said, yeah, but I just wanted to let you know because I felt bad. Look, but I kept doing it. Well, but this, that's interesting, too, because uh, growing up, you know, 17, 18, um, you know, coming from, you know, uh, working class families and stuff, um, it wasn't like you were privileged and had a lot of money in your pocket to do what you needed to do, mm -hmm. right? So to go on the road, you guys had to manage what you were getting. We did. Right? And here yeah. you were sending money back home. So, yeah. so uh, there was a lot of skills that you had to <laughs> pick up, right? Yeah. That, he laughed and he said, you are so funny. I said, but I needed to tell you that. I said, but you never ate anything, but he didn't. I never seen him eat any breakfast. It was always, his mind was always on practice and singing and practice and singing and practice and singing. So, but that, I thought that was real cute. So did you ever have to do without while you were on tour or you no. always had enough? I always had enough. Mm -hmm. I always had enough. I did. And um, I remember royalties. I did get some royalties. For a minute, I got about, let me see, I got about $5,000 when it first started. When they first started giving out royalties, I got about $5,000. And then it stopped. But uh, it was just an experience. It was an experience. It was a turning point in my life. And uh, like I said, I do, I thank God. I thank God for the whole, the whole trip. It was just awesome. It was awesome. So what are some of the other things that stuck out with you that made an impression? You talked about uh, singing Oh Happy Day and having the church uh, um, do this line around yeah. and stuff. But uh, what were some of the, the, the things that you still remember that were 
um, really impactful. Well, I also got to know people because, see, we would have meetings. We would have our business, like a business meeting with the group, with the choir, and just to listen to people's different perspective on singing, to hear the reason why they thought a certain way. Like one time we had a meeting, and, and I have always been the one that will speak up, always. If you tell me something and somebody else tell me something, but they didn't tell the individual person, I would always be the one to ask that question. In other words, um, it was going around in the group that why was Tremaine singing most of the songs? Because there was Gail, there was um, Marguerite. I mean, there was other people. He would use them, but not to the point where, you know, he was using Tremaine. And Gail... My God, Gail's voice, Gail's voice was off the... I mean, look like she can throw her voice into, like, at a break of glass. And she told me that she had went to school, too, for singing. And so now everybody, you know, whispering, how come he always... How come? I? But see, in the meeting, in the meeting, I came up. And asked him that question. I asked Ed the question because everybody else, but they wouldn't go into Ed. They was talking amongst themselves. And so by me being, I'm the type of person, my job that worked every day, I was a counselor, a drug counselor and a mental health counselor. And I would have these, my clients, sit them down and have them groups just like Ed had us. And we would talk. And I'd tell them, express yourself. But, these, but they wouldn't, see, they wouldn't expressing themselves not to Ed. How was things going to change if they never brought it up? So I said, bring it up to Ed. And, oh, no, we don't know. But I did. And I asked him, I said, well, Ed, why is Tremaine mostly singing all the songs? And then we began to talk about it. And then everybody after the thing, oh, you sure is bold. It's not so much as being bold, but if you want to know something, go to the source. And that's... That's have always been the way I looked at things. So I found out also how to deal with people while I was traveling, what to say and what not to say. Or if, like the Bible says, if you got an art against your brother, go to him, you know, and talk it over. Don't go to nobody else. Go to that person. So I learned how to really express myself around the group, the ones that was with us. Because like I said, it was so many of us. It was each time almost he got a different group. So see, like I said, right before they went to Europe, he broke the group down again to about maybe 10 or 11, whereas it was about 30 of us that was traveling, or 25, you know. So I just thank God that I was a part of that second group that was able to travel and how I met people, roommates, you know. My cousin Charlene was a roommate. I got the roommate with Tremaine, and now she's one of the they just gave her an award, you know. There was something that you, you had mentioned about Ed and switching around voices and, and juggling, um, you know, the different uh, combinations of singers uh, when you would go to different dates. Uh, what did that tell you about it? What, what did you learn from that? That he was versatile. It depends on the mood of the place that we were in how he would pick the songs, knowing that it would minister to what crowd, that he was creative, you know, knowing that this song may reach this audience or that song may reach that audience. And so I noticed that he cared about, he cared about people. He cared about the people and the places that we went to, you know, what sound would be good at that particular time. Now, um, those places that you went to when you were um, in the Church of God in Christ and you were in the community choirs or the, the, the group choirs, you primarily performed at church, in church events, right? Okay, you know something now? I didn't do a lot of singing with Ed now at the church. I didn't. My time was basically when we traveled. 
and it was more like auditoriums. There were auditoriums, basically, holding thousands of people. That's where I sung, that I can really remember. Because going to the different churches, that was just like a powerhouse choir to me, you know, and singing. Which was your local church. Right, right. But at Ephesians and um, Mingleton Temple, I only did maybe a, a few of those. And then Ed set up a tour. And that's when I got a chance to, to go. And that's what I remember the most because of that time and that season of my life. So how did you really look at that? All of a sudden, um, you're, it's outside of the church. This is a commercial entity. Um, what did you take with that? Because you, you had mentioned um, how on the tour you spent most of the time rehearsing, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that it was a business, that this was a job that you had to do. Mm-hmm. Well, how was it each night at the concert? What was that supposed to be? That was more, okay, the job was doing the rehearsing and the practicing. But then the ministry came when we began to sing to the people. So it was business and ministry coming together. Never thought, Steve, I never thought about the money. I didn't. The money we were making, it was all about the people that we were singing to, the response that we would get. It was, it was just awesome. The respond, the respond, the respond. And that was letting me know that people were broken, they were hurting, and those songs brought healing to them. That's what we need now. That's exactly what we need right now, what's happening right now. And... Um, I can't sing like I used to, but Steve, when I'm at home, I minister to myself in song because that's a part of us too, singing songs of Zion, like they say, or singing songs that become, and, and then I thought about too how, see when the people, when they sing the blues, that's how they feel. And if you listen to a person that sing the blues, you gonna hey, you gonna become you gonna become right where that person is at too because they all have a message. Mm-hmm. 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 They all have a message, and so the songs that we brought forth had a message to uplift, to build, to heal the things that were broken, and I I enjoyed it. Um, and and that leads me back to the question of where you started from on the tour mm-hmm. and what that meant for you in your life, mm-hmm. how did you get transformed? I got transformed by knowing that, oh, happy day, knowing that how the people responded to me, not knowing anything about me, the signing of the autographs, every, every auditorium that we went to, the people would just rush us, sign my autograph, and selling of the records, you know, sign my autograph. That meant so much to them to know that they were in the same room with somebody singing Oh Happy Day or singing Joy, Joy, or singing the songs that we sung. That made me feel like somebody. Whereas the way I had been treated at that particular time, I was broken. Mm-hmm. But I began to heal. And then when I got back, Steve, and I saw my baby, when I left him, he was five months old. But when I got back, he was nine months old. And just to see his face, and he knew who I was. My baby knew me, who I was. And he gave me the biggest smile. And that my son has been in my life ever since then. He's been my... Uh, like when I when he was about two or three years old, I was still by myself. It's almost like he felt when I would get depressed. He'll come and catch me by my leg. Mommy, I love you so much. I love you, Mommy. And that would just, oh, my God, that would just do something to me. So all of this 
part with the singing and the leaving and the coming back t to him and knowing that it was a happy day in my life. You shared something with me, um, which is how the arc of that experience of being in that choir to where you are now in your own particular ministry. Okay. Um, after I was treated the way that I was treated by some of the members or the members at my, my home church, now, right now, I have young ladies that I'm talking to that I've had a child out of wedlock or that have a child and the man is no longer in their life. I have told, I have empathy now, knowing that I've been there. Not to judge, you still are, God yet loves you, but what you need to do, you really need to pray and ask God to help you raise this child. Let it go. Don't be angry. Don't be bitter. Let all that go because that makes that 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 keeps you in bondage to be bitter and angry. And that baby can feel it too. So let it go and start right now knowing that you are somebody and that you have a child to raise. Whether you allow somebody else to come in your life or if you don't because I didn't for a long time. It was just me and my baby. So now I know how to minister to them and have empathy for them. Not so much as, not saying that um, I go along, not agreeing with what they did, because they made a mistake just like I did, you know. And then some of them may be still, no, you got to stop that and start thinking wisely because this is the, the result of what you did for making that one that one thing, that one mistake, this is, a baby was born. Now what are you going to do? You have to love him, take care of him, and you're going to need help. And that's when I began to really pray, Lord, ask, and ask him to help me raise my son. And he did. He did. So you became stronger. Mm-hmm. You, you, I did. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I did. Never would have known that that, would have had that never, effect on you. Never, 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 never. Uh-uh. And so I, I do, I, I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for what God has given me down through the years. That's where I'm at now. And we have quite a few. And in some kind of way, Steve, I always say miracle match. He, God will bring a young lady in my life. Don't have to know her. Always will always find out some kind of way that so-and-so just had a baby and blah, 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 blah. And I, you know what I would ask? Do you mind if I call and talk to her? Don't have to know. You don't know me, sweetheart. I'm just calling to talk to you to see how you're doing. And that's how I started off. See how you're doing, you know. I thank God because of all that happened to me the way it did. God had a plan yet for my life, and that's what I'm doing now. There was a lot going on in the world during that time. Did it affect you? Were you aware of it uh, in the midst of it? No, I wasn't aware because of where I was. See, I was caught up in my little a chapter of my life, so I wasn't aware of what was going on around in the world, but I do know that they say history repeats itself. So just like I wasn't aware about the wars and the different things that was happening because of what was happening to me. But there were still good things that was happening just like that was good for me to travel with Edna because I was broken. I was hurt. And so I look at the time now, Steve, how many years later? 50 to... I am 70 years young, and I thank God. I thank God every day, every day, 70 years. And I'm looking at the things now that's happening in this world. The Black Lives Matter, this COVID-19, this Delta, 
uh, uh, suicide, murder, the weather, all these things that's happening, but yet and still there is a part of our life that we focus in on. People need to be healed like I needed to be healed. People are broken. And I say that this is the time for families to come together and love on one another because it has always been about family. To my old happy day, when he washed my sins away. Oh, happy day, oh, happy day, oh, happy day. It's almost like it, it needs to be a happy day right now. Focusing on the good and not all these other things that have happened. Because, yes, loved ones have left here, don't know why. We don't know why some are healed and then some are not. But I tell you, I'm learning so much about myself and about where God has brought me from. And that's why, that's why I'm talking from my experience to help somebody else, wherever you at right now, wherever you at right now, it's yet a blessing for the things that God has done for us. And, and, and not to get religious, but Steve, everything in the Old Testament, when God spoke to his prophets, he always told his prophets to tell the next generation that I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of bondage. It's the same thing with us now. What is your bondage today? Let God bring you out. Oh, happy day when he washed my sins away, when he made an opportunity for me to change, to go to the next level, the next chapter in my life. And that's what I'm... I focus on what he has done for me, not the clothing, not all these different things, because things are going to happen. The Bible is being fulfilled. That's just the bottom line. It's being fulfilled. He said you was going to have tribulation, persecution, but I'm trusting in him. My hope is yet in him. Oh, happy day. This episode was produced and edited by Stephen Clara Williams for Kite Flyer Productions. Listen and follow for free wherever you listen to podcasts.